This is Sam Saxon. Along with Professor Joff Deroot. And you're listening to Tales Unveiled. Where we travel across Oklahoma for ghost stories. As well as urban legends and local history. I returned the call to Tanya McCoy and arranged an interview with her in Mustang. On the day of the interview, I found the professor's car already parked in front of the small, gray and black house-looking building that was next to a Salvation Army store. Tanya was showing the professor around her new shop, the Ravensgate, that she was in the process of setting up. The professor was inquiring about some of the items for sale when I walked in. I was a bit confused as to why we were meeting in Mustang, as the last time we spoke, she was planning to set up shop in El Reno. While I was setting up the recording equipment, we used the time to catch up. Long story short, due to the pandemic, she relocated closer to home where the rent was cheaper. With everything situated, I started the interview. Tanya, let's get started. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, my name is Tanya McCoy. I'm the founder of the Oklahoma Paranormal Association and co-author of several historical ghost books with uh, Jeff and then also Whitney Wilson. Since we last saw you in the fall, what have you been up to since? Uh, Still doing a lot of research. Uh, We've, of course, released our newest book, which is Haunted Shawnee, which came out last month. Uh, Working on a couple of other ones coming out, hopefully within the next year. Uh, I know a publisher's wanting us to work on a land run book. Uh, Also working with the town of Blackwell with bringing some of their history and ghost tours up in that area. And then also doing a lot of research on the mining towns around Oklahoma and a lot of the actual ghost towns and historical locations. Tell us a a little bit about Blackwell. So Blackwell is a small town up near the edge of Kansas and Oklahoma. It's about two hours north of Oklahoma City. It's a little historical town that has a lot of history. Uh, One of the things that they are known for but don't like to be known for is they were considered a sundown town here in Oklahoma. So it was pretty much ran by the Ku Klux Klan at one point. It's not that way now, of course, but it's a very small community um, with a lot of history, especially in its downtown area. And we're looking at actually holding our next paranormal conference there, uh, looking at June of next year. Any good stories? Uh, There's a lot of stories kind of around. I'm still digging into a lot of it. I do know the post office is one of their main areas with a postmaster that actually killed himself that still haunts the building. We're hoping to get into the old depot area there that's owned by the city now. Not too far from there, you've got a couple of other towns there in Kay County that have just a lot of history with it. Um, One of the other ones that's really close is one of the Indian schools, which was one of the first five in the nation to open which is just steeped in lots of mystery and history from that era. I'm really curious about the mining towns. I don't think I've learned much about that. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the mining towns throughout Oklahoma? So Oklahoma actually at one point in history was known as the most dangerous state for mining incidents. So when you think about mining, you usually think about Virginia, West Virginia, the coal miners, all of that back in that area which uh, is kind of what piqued my interest because my grandfather worked in the coal mines back in Virginia. So I decided I wanted to kind of maybe write a book about the history of coal mining and 
When I started researching, I found out Oklahoma actually has quite a bit here, which really surprised me. And a lot of the towns are actually built on the coal mining industry, including Colgate, which is in the county of Cole County. Uh, there's several little uh, areas around there, Phillips, Lehigh, um, that they're now pretty much considered ghost towns. They're very small in population and some none at all. But a lot of that came from that area. Um, we have several locations in the northeastern, several in the southeastern, and then we even have some around Medicine Park area. So we do have coal mining here, we have zinc, we have lead, we have a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver, um, and that's kind of some of the main ones. Now Krebs actually has a huge disaster where they had a cave-in where miners are still buried to this day. McAllister is another one. Uh, they actually have a museum up there that I'm trying to get to. Oh, I didn't realize that the Krebs, I've just known them for like their Italian food. and It's actually not far from the Italian restaurant. There's a, a memorial back there and there's, I wish I had my notes with me, but I want to say about a hundred people that died in that cave-in that's actually still buried. McAllister is another one that has a big cave-in where um, the slabs actually fell in and crushed many of these miners. There's even one story where they got the mules out before the miners. So it, it actually aggravated a lot of people um, because they would take the, the mules out before the miners because they would have to pay extra if they had the mules come out last. So they considered it more important to take out the mules than the human lives. So what happened to the mining industry here in Oklahoma then? It's still here, um, but since we don't use coal as much as we used to, it's really kind of gone down. So we, we still do have mines um, scattered throughout the state. It's just not as prominent as it was back then because back then that's how they heated their homes. That's how they ran the, the engines on the, the, the railroads. And most of the towning companies were actually started by the railroads that brought these people in. They're the ones that owned the mining companies. Um, and it's just really interesting when you, when you start looking back, um, it was, these little towns was almost ran like a mafia. They were paid in their own type money. So they would get a paycheck, it was on their own personal script, and then they would have to go to the mining company stores to buy their food, to buy their clothes at a higher percentage, usually 25% higher than you would buy anywhere else. So they basically owned these people. You say you've been doing some investigations, and was any of that in the new Haunted Shawnee? Uh, we did actually get to investigate a few of the buildings in Shawnee. Uh, we were asked to come into um, one of the privately owned businesses there, and that night we ran an investigation there as well as a co-investigation with the Aldridge, since it's within a few walking blocks of each other. So we actually had two investigations going that night, and they started to actually cross over a little bit into each other. Interesting. They crossed over? Well, we actually, I think we took some energy from one building to another. Best way to really put that. Um, the Aldridge um, Hotel is a big 10-story building, not quite 100 years old. It was actually built in 1928. Uh, it was originally owned by Hilton Phillips, um, who was a big oil tycoon. And he actually lived in the penthouse of the uh, hotel. And when he, uh, sorry, lived there, 
he basically helped kind of run and set up this town. He was a self-made millionaire. He struck it rich in the Seminole oil fields, and we all kind of know that little shot at a history with that um, and what happened with the, the Seminole Indians. But the hotel itself today still remains haunted. So is it a hotel still? Is it vacant? Is there apartments? What is it now? Uh, currently, it is senior citizen living apartments. It originally started out as the hotel. It stayed that way for quite a while. Then it went into private hands, set empty for a while. And in 2005, reopened as a senior citizen living quarters, basically. What are some of the ghost stories? Well, there's a couple of them that are surrounding it. Um, One of the first ones that comes up is about a bride who was staying at the hotel. She was going to be getting married to the love of her life and he left her waiting at the altar. So uh, shrouded with depression and just a broken heart, she supposedly hung herself in the hotel. Another uh, pretty common story is about the little girl. Uh, There's a little girl who was playing up on the second floor in the mezzanine area, which is kind of an open area. And she fell over the railing onto the um, the floors below and killed her. And so now people report this little girl running through the halls of the hotel. And she's evidently seen quite often. Um, there's been a few other little ones going on. There's been a, people that have died natural causes throughout the years. But there's also a lot of reports of um, people killing themselves. Um, There's been several reports of people actually taking headers off the top of the building um, and killing themselves that way. There's also been um, a little... Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a minute. Um, Other people that have died with the natural causes there from either old age or one of the incidences we experienced ourselves was what we thought probably would have been a person having a heart attack. While doing in the investigation up in the ballroom area, I started getting very bad chest pains, feeling like, you know, my heart was being squeezed. And then it started to migrate down the left side. And of course, being a nurse, I'm automatically thinking, oh, this, am I having a heart attack? I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. And it got harder and harder to breathe. And before I knew it, two other investigators with me started experiencing the same thing. So after we were done, I had went out and asked the gentleman who was helping us in the building and it led us in to do the investigation itself and I asked him if anybody had recently died of a heart attack and there had been one on that very floor not far away so we think we were probably still feeling maybe what that person had been feeling does the Aldridge Hotel have a history of any sort of disasters like fire or tornado that have happened to it we do know there was a fire in the building that supposedly some hauntings occur from We're not sure who died. We don't have that actual history, but we're told that some of the invest or some of the actual hauntings do stem from that. One other one that was a more recent one was actually witnessed by some of the staff. There's a stairwell um, towards the outside of the building, but it's still kind of enclosed that you walk down and they had noticed a bunch of activity on their security cameras. So they went into the stairwell to see kind of what was going on. And for whatever reason, one of them decided to start recording and they later found an EVP on that recording that tells them to get out in a male voice. So they kind of left that area and was not real happy to go back. What other experiences did you have on your investigation? In the basement of the Aldridge is probably the most scariest area. Um, 
downstairs is various businesses. There's actually a living's quarter. But we did go into one room that's just kind of a storage area just up behind the elevators. In there, it actually takes on a very ominous feeling. It's not as light and pleasant like the rest of the building seems to be. A lot of us started kind of feeling very dreadful in that area, a lot of chills, and we uh, brought, brought out a bunch of different equipment that we actually started getting stuff with pretty much right away. And we did get a couple of really good EVPs out of that area. Some of the stuff that we actually got, which I'm gonna have to refer back to here, um, we got uh, disembodied voices and we actually got a very um, ominous disembodied growl that came from behind us, which kind of shook us up. And then there were various words that came out of the ghost radio saying, let me out, psychopath, insanity, go away. Um, we think that was actually attached to the hospital next door. So it actually sits very close adjacent to the old Shawnee hospital which is what we always joke about. That's the hospital Brad Pitt was born in, so everybody knows it for that. But we think that maybe this spirit started coming over from there and just was not a very pleasant one at all. We were seeing the movements, we were seeing the shadows. And even after we left that building, we felt almost still kind of that freaked out feeling, still has that really, that real ominous feeling to us. And of course, like I said, we were running in between buildings, so we ended up going over to the other business and once we had went over there, we actually started feeling stuff over there we had not felt before. So we feel like maybe it piggybacked us from that location to the other. And then we started actually having more interaction at the other building with things that we hadn't experienced previously during that investigation. So we ended up actually having to cleanse the building and cleanse everybody that night to make sure we didn't take anything out with us. Where else did you investigate? Investigation-wise in Shawnee, um, the really only other place we went to was kind of over by the train accident to see if we could get any EVPs or ghost radio going off. When was this accident? That one happened on Christmas Eve, I want to say 1906 somewhere, and I don't have my note in front of me, but it was early at the turn of the century. And that area was originally the train yard. So they had several buildings that had um, all the, they'd bring the engines in, fix them, things like that. And on that one day, they were fixing an engine and it had just broke for lunch break. So there was only a few people left in the building, luckily. And when they went to start the train engine, it actually exploded. And when it did it, it sent um, the, the wood cart or the engine through the wall of another building. Uh, the gentleman who was actually working on the train, who was in the bay under the train, actually didn't get hurt, but several others did around. And it would have been a catastrophe, except for the fact that most people were on lunch. But several people were actually severely injured. Some were definitely killed. And for weeks, they were finding body parts on top of the buildings scattered around downtown. So with this terrible accident, uh, what's still remaining? I think there's still a lot of residual energy. Uh, we didn't really get out and do a full investigation. It's outside, it was after midnight, um, and it's kind of a big open area in downtown. So we basically just ran our ghost radios. We did get a few little hits off of those that, that talked about a few things. We asked if somebody had been hurt in the accident. Uh, 
if I'm remembering correctly, I believe somebody said their arm was hurt. Um, not a whole lot for as as long as we were sitting there. We weren't there very, very long. Um, we may end up going back at another time to see what else we could get, but you could definitely feel that residual. The buildings, of course, aren't there anymore. It's just a big open field to where it was originally, but it's an interesting location just to go actually feel the energy there. What did you do to cleanse yourselves? So basically that night we did some energy work um, along with some Palo Santo. I took the Palo Santo stick that night, which is Palo Santo is just considered a holy wood uh, that helps to cleanse off any negative energy. We did, you know, we carry sage, we carry the Palo. Sage can be a little more smoky if we're in somebody's building. So unless they want us to go in and do a full cleanse, I'll do something light like the Palo Santo stick, and then we'll use oil, certain oils to anoint, and then we'll, you know, depending on religion, I pray, and then others will do energy work, and we just basically um, say nothing's allowed to follow us. Any dark entities, any dark energy must leave. Only white and light and love is allowed within our space. And then that's kind of how we leave it. So when I go through and cleanse a, a building or a home, I'll cleanse each room and then I'll seal it with um, an oil blend, usually making the, the sign of a cross above the doors and windows to try to block out any negative. Is there anyone still walking around the train tracks today? Okay, so I've heard reports of a um, ghostly conductor that supposedly still walks the tracks that can be seen. Uh, and that goes back more to the earlier years of the 1900s. Some have said that they can see him with a lantern out there on the track swaying back and forth, and others have seen him standing on the platform, and then just suddenly he'll disappear. Does this conductor have a name or identity? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think anybody knows exactly who it is. Um, they just have reported, different people have reported over the years of seeing this, and it very well could be what's considered a residual energy, um, just not an intelligent haunting, someone that, you know, you just kind of see it play over and over again. But as far as I know, nobody's ever interacted, at least nobody's reported it to me, that they've interacted with a conductor. He's just been seen. And of course, there's old Bo. Oh, old Bo, what? Well, he's a dog ghost. A dog ghost. Yes, he's still apparently riding the trains. The story goes that uh, this dog who lived in Shawnee loved the train so much he would escape from home again and again and got to the point where the railroad workers expected him and his original owners just gave him up. So every morning as the trains were coming in, he would hop on and ride them in every direction he was going. Uh, most famously, he would ride the Boomer, name of that engine so they started calling him boomer and then shortened to Bo. so 1908 got started and worked the rails uh, until 1920 so a 12 year career which uh, is that's still pretty years. long for yeah. a dog 84 dog years working the rails and apparently he loved it he would uh run up and down the tracks waiting for trains uh, if they tried to leave without him he'd catch up and jump on he just loved his work and the workers loved him too they gifted him a collar with a Santa Fe Railway emblem on it, so he became an official worker. Uh, he wasn't allowed in the passenger carriages after leaving too much white hair behind, reportedly. 
And I assume this dog had a happy ending, right? Uh, well, he uh, kept going a lot longer than people would think. Uh, he, in fact, was chasing a car full of hogs at one point, barking at him as you do. Got a little bit close, and the wheel nipped his leg. So they had to get a hacksaw and clean it up a little bit. But Three-Legged Bo continued working until 1920 when he finally went blind and was unable to uh, follow the cars anymore. So they took him to the vet and put him down, but uh, he's still reportedly there. They buried him just 60 feet away from the rail yard. You can go and visit his grave. There's a little marker there. And people say they still see him running up and down the railways, chasing after trains. Do you happen to have any ghost stories that perhaps just didn't quite make it in the book for one reason or another? Well, there is one that I couldn't find actual documentation on, but supposedly there's a ghost train that still travels. Um, it was a train that carried prostitutes at one point that supposedly derailed and had a major accident outside of Shawnee. So there is a folklore going around that there is a railroad train full of prostitutes that still travels the railway but their spirits of yesteryears basically um, still working after death riding the rails I assume what they lure men to their death don't know of any story about that as far as if it's killing them but um, if a guy wants to get on a ghostly train with a hooker hey I, I don't whatever floats their boat The professor flipped through his black leather notebook and said he had another story he had heard about that he was still researching. He cleared his throat and began. Another story I've heard about Chani is a certain department store uh, built in previously a grocery store, but it's moved from downtown and now everything's remodeled. Uh, they've put new bathrooms up front, but the old bathrooms uh, kept under lock and key due to something being inside there. That sounds a little vague, but to be a little bit more specific, uh, they have issues with hearing knocks. Uh, people will use the room for storage for a little bit, but things will be strewn around, boxes moved. And so only the assistant manager and manager carry the keys. Uh, even so, they will go in and find handprints over the mirrors, over the sinks. And it's just those two that hold the keys? Just them. And... Uh, they have both demonstrated that their hands are much too large for whatever this is. Although it doesn't seem to be just one set of handprints. Some are very small and some have impossibly long fingers. Also, interestingly, uh, when employees are feeling a little courageous, they'll go in there and in the dust uh, carve little messages. So, how are you? Good morning. Things like that. And next time they'll come back and get the managers to unlock for them, something else will be written in there like any examples you can share just little replies of doing well how are you beware get out well thank you again for joining us today and taking the time to chat with us for our listeners that want to buy your book where can they find it uh, well, since it's a major publisher, it's pretty much anywhere. Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon Online, Walmart, Target Online. Walgreens usually carries it. Most museums carry it. Um, i trying to think where else. It, most little bookstores around 
anywhere around Oklahoma City and probably in Shawnee now will carry that book as well as our others. And then of course they can always join me for the ghost walks in El Reno. Um, I share a lot of stories around the El Reno area but also also do a little bit of teaching as far as uh, what we do in the paranormal field, how we research and the different aspects of that. Right now, um, the class I teach at Francis Tuttle is kind of on a hiatus with all of this fun little COVID stuff, but hopefully in the spring we'll start back with that. And then of course, if they need to know more about cleansing or any of the herbs or rituals that we use, we're opening um, our new location is the Raven's Gate in Mustang, Oklahoma, 216 West Highway 152. And you can find us at theravensgate.com. packing up my stuff, I found the professor with a sack full of supplies, as he referred to it. Before we left, Tanya gifted us with some fluorite stones, explaining that they are helpful for writers. We said our goodbyes and thank yous, and once outside, the professor asked if I remembered that fortune he got in Pahaska, which I told him I vaguely did. He explained to me that the fortune has provided him some clarity throughout 2020. I didn't really ask him to elaborate on that. But, you know, whatever helps you get through this year, helps you get through this year, I'd say. But anyway, he said that he had a place tied to the military, which connected to his fortune, and he wanted us to do an interview there. I asked him, where is this place? And he said he was still working out the specifics, but he would be in touch soon once he got the date and time confirmed. So, stay tuned listeners find out where we go next. Tales Unveiled is a production of the show Starts Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman. The voice of Professor Jeff DeRoot is Jeff Provine. We would like to thank Tanya McCoy for sharing stories with us, so be sure to check out her latest book, Haunted Shawnee. The opinions and stories told are that of the individuals and do not reflect of their employer, affiliates, and spirits mentioned. If you love what we're doing, please join us on Patreon and get exclusive rewards. Visit talesunveiled.com to find out how to become a Patreon supporter. Before we go, I would like to leave you with this quote from Michelle Obama. You can't make decisions based on fear, and the possibility of what might happen. Mm-hmm.